Welcome to a talk from St. Saviour's Sunbury. We hope it blesses you. Good morning, everybody. It's quite nice doing two services. You get like a completely new crowd of people to look out to. It's fab. Uh, if you've got Bibles, please open up your Bibles to John chapter 13. If you've got phones with a Bible app on, please uh, flick to John 13. We're going to have a quick look at this passage today. It's a passage about Jesus, which is quite handy. It's a passage about love, which is quite handy. And it's a passage about serving one another, which with joy coming up is also quite handy. Uh, So John chapter 13. We're going to read a few verses, then stop, and we're going to read a few more a bit later and stop, and then we're going to read a few more. Uh, I'll probably be filling in some gaps in between. Verse 1, it was just before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So, dot, 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 stop reading if you've got a Bible, stop reading if you've got a mobile phone app in front of you. I'm going to stop at the so, dot, 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 and just have a think about uh, who this person is and, and what's being said about him. So this is about Jesus. He's sat uh, with some friends. It's just before Passover festival. And it says that Jesus knew that all power had been given to him. What's the exact words? It says, uh, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. Now, imagine that that's you. That God has put all things under your power. That'd be quite freaky. Have you seen uh, the film with Jim Carrey, Bruce Almighty? Who's seen that? So, uh, great comedy where uh, Jim Carrey gets given the powers of God, briefly. And he can do all sorts of amazing things. So he's got his girlfriend who he's trying to woo, and he quickly goes outside and he hooks the moon and pulls it closer so it looks really big, and he adds some stars to the sky. And she comes out and she's like, oh, wow, it's amazing. And he's eating a bowl of soup. And he parts the soup like the parting of the Red Sea with his hands. And you go, it's a great film. But he completely freaks out because he's got all this power literally at his fingertips. And then he starts to hear everyone's prayers and it all goes crazy for him. So here's Jesus. And it says that God has put all things under his power. That's quite intense. That's quite awesome. And Jesus knows this. It says something else about him as well. In verse 3, it says, I've lost it. He's come from God and he was returning to God. He's come from God and he's returning to God. Let's just unpack that for a moment. Many people think about Jesus that 
they know his story. You, it's quite familiar to us. We've got Christmas where Jesus is born. That's where he begins life as a baby. And then he grows up and he does amazing things sinlessly. So somehow he navigates from being an infant to going through the terrible twos without being terrible and navigating childhood without putting a foot wrong, getting to the teenage years and managing not to be a teenager. And grows up to 30 years old where we finally meet him in the Gospels properly and he starts teaching and performing miracles and and people love him or they loathe him in sort of equal measure and he's this incredible prophet, this incredibly good man who says some really nice stuff and does some really amazing things and then unfortunately the people who don't like him decide to crucify him but it's okay because he's been such a good person and so amazing God raises him from the dead and that's Jesus' uh, victory and his prize for being such an awesome dude. Except that isn't the story of Jesus. That's the thing that people often think about Jesus, that he's some good bloke who achieves this amazing thing because God loves him. But actually, Jesus is much more than that. And the Bible doesn't talk about Jesus in the way that I've just explained, because that way I've explained is false, and it doesn't help us to really get to grips with who Jesus properly is. You see, if we go back to the beginning where Jesus is an infant baby in a manger in Bethlehem, that is not his beginning. Jesus' beginning is eternally this way, because Jesus existed before the beginning of time. Jesus, in fact, invented time and space and stars and galaxies and planets and plants and people. Jesus created all things. Nothing has its being except for Jesus having created it first. From before the beginning of time, Jesus was the Holy of Holies, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, not because of what he achieved in 30 short years, but because of who he already was from the beginning of time. And it's that Jesus, that King of Kings, that eternal, that infinite, that majestic person called Jesus Christ who sits with his friends here in this passage. It's that infinite Jesus, that powerful, majestic King of Kings who knows that all things are under his power, who knows he has come from God, who knows he is returning to God, so. Now if you knew all that, if that was you, and you knew all that stuff was true about you, I don't think, if you're anything like me, the so dot 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 would carry on in the way that it did for Jesus. If it was me, I'd be like, world, look at me right now. I'd be out performing miracles and doing amazing things. I'd be flying through the air or, or something spectacular, but not Jesus. So let's read on. So what does he do? So... He got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped round him. Jesus has humbled himself. He's the King of Kings, 
and he completely empties himself of all of his majestic glory and becomes a sniveling baby in a manger, totally vulnerable and dependent. He grows up. He gets to the point at which he's about to save the world through this horrific crucifixion, and he should have loads of other things on his mind, but he takes off his outer clothes. He's in his pants, ladies and gentlemen. He's the king of kings in his pants, and he's getting down, and he's about to do something totally humble. Can you, let's just pause, can you do something for me, unless you've got a medical reason not to, or you're completely freaked out by this, could you take off your shoes? Not your trousers. Not your trousers. No, let's leave our trousers on. We're only going to go so far in following Jesus at this moment. But take off your shoes, if you can. And if you're really brave, take off your socks as well. I'm not going to be washing your feet this morning, don't worry. Now, lots of you, I think, aren't doing that because you're feeling a bit uncomfortable. That's okay, that's fine. But it's interesting that we feel uncomfortable because there's something about our feet that we don't want to show people. If you've taken your shoes and socks off, show someone next to you your feet. (laughs) Have a good look. Have a good look at your neighbour's feet. Now, we feel slightly embarrassed. There's something silly about that. I don't know what it is. I mean, we see each other's hands all the time, so what's wrong with our feet? I don't know, but we, we sort of hide them away, we cover them up. Uh, we, lots of people say, oh, feet are weird. I don't have a thing about feet, but there you go, there's mine, beautiful things. Um, thank you very much. Thank you. So, you've had a look at each other's feet. Jesus did more. In his pants, with a towel wrapped around his waist, he kneels down and he's washing his disciples' feet. Now, in those days, you've all heard this before, I'm sure they didn't have pavements and tarmac. We sometimes think our roads are dirty, but back then, everything was just dirt, dirt. It just packed down dirt, dusty, muddy. Rain comes, the hard-packed dirt turns into mud. There were some areas which were paved with stones in busy areas of Jerusalem and towns and so on, but a lot of the streets and roads they walked on would have just been packed down dirt. Feet got dirty. When you went to someone's house, it was the, the lowliest person's job to wash visitors' feet as they came in. If you were rich enough to have servants or slaves, it, particularly in a Jewish house, it would be a non-Jewish slave who would wash the guest's feet. It was a, a, a dirty, unclean job. So here, at this meal, Jesus is getting up, taking off his clothes, he's in his pants, towel, and he's washing feet. But he's the king of kings. He is the alpha and the omega. He literally created stars, and he's washing those feet in his pants. What on earth is going on? Now, one of the things I love about this passage is that it is about foot washing. It's not about crucifixion. It's not about raising the dead. It's not about extreme things that Jesus did that we could never imagine ourselves doing. 
It's foot washing. Now, okay, that also might be a bit extreme. I don't know when the last time was that you washed someone's feet, probably when you've got small children. Then when they become teenagers, you're just like, oh, please wash your feet. <laughs> we don't tend to go around knocking on doors, washing people's feet. We don't tend to have other people come and wash our feet, unless you go to some salon and have a beauty treatment and pay good money to have someone wash and cleanse and fiddle about with your feet and give you a foot massage and paint your nails, which I haven't had done for a long time now. And it's just an alien part of our culture. We don't do that. But here Jesus is doing that. And he tells us to do the same. We've noticed there's somebody else in this passage as well. We've already met them. Verse 2, the evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Flick with me back a page if you have a uh, Bible, um, but otherwise just listen to these words from John chapter 12. Jesus is anointed at Bethany. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honour. Martha served, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about half a litre of pure nard, an expensive perfume, she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. So there's just a few days before. Different house, same crowd. Martha goes and gets this pure nard, which I love the name nard, uh, it's an expensive perfume. It's worth a whole year's wages. It's used for um, perfuming dead bodies. So when someone that you love or when, you're, when you yourself die, it would be used to embalm your body to stop the stench uh, and also to honour, um, etc. So it was, a, it was a lifelong keepsake to be used for a very special uh, moment. But here she was, she goes and gets that, and she wants to anoint Jesus' feet. Not just wash his feet, but to anoint them with this incredibly expensive perfume. And then use her hair. How intimate is that? It's amazing. And Judas is right there. Judas is complaining, saying, we could sell that and flog that and give the money to the poor. Or rather, I could keep some for myself. Judas totally doesn't get it. He monumentally doesn't get anything that Jesus is about. And so when just a few days later, we've got Jesus washing his disciples' feet, he still doesn't get it. What does Jesus do with Judas? Matthew, let me clean your feet. John, let me clean your feet. Simon Peter, let me clean your feet. No, Lord, don't just clean my feet. I can't have you touching my feet. They're dirty. You're the Lord of Lords, King of Kings. No. No, Simon. No. I've got to clean you. Or you have no part in me. 
So he cleans Simon Peter's feet, gets to Judas. What does he do? Does Jesus know that Judas is going to betray him? Yes, he does. Does Jesus know that Judas is going to sell him out for less than Matthew's perfume was worth? Yep, Jesus knows that. Is Jesus brokenhearted about what Judas is going to do? Absolutely. Jesus washes Judas's feet in his pants. Verse 6, he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realise now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. Side look at Judas. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Judas completely misses the point and continues on his plan to betray Jesus with clean feet. The lovely thing about this passage is that it's not about an extreme situation like crucifixion. It's not an extreme situation like Martha and the Nard. It's not an extreme situation like raising Lazarus from the dead. It's just some disciples with dirty feet and a bowl of water. And Jesus says, I've done this for you, now you do this for one another. Follow my example and be blessed. It's something we can get our heads round and we can get a handle on. Judas couldn't. Simon Peter struggled. But we can understand it. Although we don't tend to go around washing people's feet, there's stuff that we can do. Have you got a neighbour who you know is struggling with cutting the grass? You could cut their grass. Someone you know is struggling to get down to the shops? Take them, go with them. Ask them, is there anything you need? I'm going shopping. At the end of church, when you have a chat with someone and you say, hi, how are you doing? And someone says, yeah, okay. No, not really great, actually. Really tough week. Don't just say, oh, bless you, brother, and be on your way. (laughs) Say, oh, that's pants. Look, it's busy. How about we get together in the week for a brew? My shout. Let's go out. Actually spend time with people. (gasps) We don't have an awful lot sometimes. Jesus didn't have very much at this point. He was in his pants, for goodness sake. There's not a lot he had to give. He didn't have money that he was giving away. He didn't really have status in the world that he could share or bestow on anyone. But what he had 
was an infinite abundance of love. He's not just the king of kings, he's the king of love. And as he bent down, knelt down, and washed his disciples' feet, he shared out of the riches that he had. He shared his love. He humbled himself to love each of those disciples, yes, even Judas. And he loved. He loved practically. He didn't just say, now guys, I'm going to do something special. Bless you. That's it. He didn't do that, and he never did that. He didn't just use words. He did stuff. Now, we don't always have much in the way of resources. I'm exhausted, and I am fully stacked every single day. Single parent, three kids, own business. I'm sometimes up at five, bed at 11, and I don't stop in between. And I'm wrecked. The thought of trying to do something else for somebody else is an almost impossible idea. But what I can do, I do do. The things that I've got available to me are sometimes words where I can chat to someone who needs someone to listen to. Just this week, a complete stranger was talking to a friend on a train. A friend of mine was on the train with this this stranger. They didn't know them, I didn't know them. But his story apparently seemed a bit like mine to this friend of mine. And they said, would you mind chatting to this person? Online, Facebook. I said, that's no problem at all. So I started talking to a complete stranger who is at the end of their tether with their circumstances in life. I can't see that person, I can't give that person money, I can't meet with that person physically, but this person said they had no one to talk to. So I said, I'm happy to listen. It's simple. I don't have a lot, but there was something I could do. As we look around us in our community, there is stuff we can do. It doesn't have to be massive. Some of you may be blessed with lots of money. I don't know if that's true of anybody, but imagine that you had lots of money. Imagine you'd won the lottery. It's a really easy thing to write a check for someone who's struggling. Actually, that sometimes is such an easy thing to do. If you have money, it's an almost meaningless thing to do. Sometimes people who are really struggling, they don't just need money. They need a friend. And being a friend is sometimes so much harder than giving cash. We need to learn how to be friends. Judas didn't get Jesus at all. Completely missed the point of Jesus, and sometimes we can as well. Christianity can be, now bear with me on this, Christianity can be an incredibly selfish pastime. We have an incredible opportunity as Christians to be completely selfish. I think almost uniquely to the Christian faith. Now, before you burn me as being a heretic, just think. We can come into church and we can sing wonderful worship songs. A band can entertain us spiritually and we get to feel great because we're singing a song to God. And we can listen to a message that helps us feel better. We can say sorry to a God who will forgive us our sins and receive forgiveness for ourselves. We can receive a blessing for me, for you, 
And we can take all that bundle and we can skip out of church feeling wonderful. I've felt great worshipping God. I've had my sins forgiven. I've had a motivating message that makes me feel better about who I am. And I've been blessed and I've had free tea and coffee and cake. And then we go off into the week and we do soddle with all that. We can live holy, selfish lives as Christians. Ooh, I've got to go to church today, make myself feel better, then I'm going to go into the week and do absolutely nothing other than the busyness that we get wrapped up in. And we do live in an endemic problem of busyness, of overburden, of being overstretched, all of us, in different ways. But we also live in a culture where we really cannot interact on a meaningful level. The thought of just looking at someone else's feet, let alone washing them, is a million miles away from where most of us interact with our neighbours and our friends and our families. We need to learn how to love our neighbours. We need to learn how to wash the feet of the people around us. We need to find how, without feeling totally embarrassed or why we're going to cause offence, how we can go to that neighbour and say, Would you not mind a hand just cutting your grass? I'm getting the mower out. I can come and do yours. Do you want a hand going to the shops? Do you want a coffee? Loneliness is a massive problem in our country. We as a church have to have the answer because Jesus washed his disciples' feet. If we don't have the answer, nobody does. Joy at Kempton. Fantastic opportunity. But if you think that that is the be-all and end-all of what we're meant to be doing as a church, then you've missed the point of Jesus as much as Judas did. Joy is great. It's going to be a fantastic event, but it's a moment. And we are called to a lifestyle. We are called to be a transforming people of God's love and power and grace in this community. Joy is just the beginning. There's a sign-up sheet to help We need a sign-up sheet for every day of every week afterwards, going on to eternity until Jesus comes back, of how can we love and transform people's lives. There's one thing which I forgot to say in the first talk I gave this morning. Simon Peter, he almost missed the point as well. One of the things that we're really bad at as Christians is not just the struggle of how how can I find a way to practically love someone? But how can I let somebody else practically love me too? We need to be a community that allows one another to wash our feet. And we need to be a community that is allowed to wash one another's feet. We need to love and serve, support, encourage, come alongside, help out practically, When someone's moving house, we'll go and help them move house. When someone's struggling with the school run, we take their kids to school. When someone's carless, we lend them a car. If we're able to do that, we bless and we love out of the riches that we have in the moment that we have them. We wash one another's feet in ways that mean something in today's overstretched and burdened and isolated world. How do we learn to love? How do we learn to wash? How do we learn to serve one another? It starts by humbling ourselves like Jesus did. We're not the King of Kings. We're not the Lord of Lords. We're just you and me. 
humbling ourselves to wash each other's feet shouldn't be as difficult as it was for Jesus. We're busy. Jesus was about to carry a cross. He was quite busy too. We can do it. We can be a church that washes one another's feet, and not just ours, but our whole communities. Amen. For more information about St. Saviour's, please visit our website at www.stsaviorsunbury.org.uk.